0: moment i'm going to read verse 13 of revelation 22 if you're looking for revelation 22 it is the very last chapter of the very last book of the bible so turn to the end in a moment i'm going to read revelation 22 and verse 13 as we begin a new sermon series today that we have entitled but first a study of the priorities of christ As we begin a new fall together, we have folks who are going to school, we have folks that are starting all kinds of activities that start up every year. Somebody said football was starting up soon, and there are all these demands on our time, and so we have to make decisions about our priorities, We've been doing that at my house recently. We were saying, can I take band and voice and piano and have still a good grade in school and time to do homework? We have to make decisions about our priorities. And as followers of Jesus, as we think about our priorities, it would be wise to think and ask the question, what are the priorities of Christ? And so we're going to have a sermon series where we think and we have a study of the priorities of Christ. And if you listen to Jesus speak in the Gospels, if you read God's Word, Jesus has this way that he's always prioritizing stuff for us. Next week, we're going to look at Matthew 5, where Jesus says, You're bringing tithes and offerings to the altar. That's great. You should do that. But first... Go be reconciled to your brother. Jesus is ordering our priorities. The week after that, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus says, Look, I know you're worried and you're anxious about what you're going to eat and what you're going to wear, and if you're going to be provided for you. God knows what you need. Your heavenly Father knows what your needs are. So you don't have to worry and be anxious, but first, seek the kingdom of God. And these things will be added to you as well. One more. The week after that, Matthew chapter 7, we're going to look where Jesus talks about our judging our brother in our heart. And how we want to correct them for their sin. And Jesus says, yeah, that's fine. You can do that. But first, take the log out of your eye so that you can see to remove the speck from your brother's eye. That's the idea of the new sermon series. We're going to be studying the priorities of Christ as we set priorities together this fall as we get busy in a new semester, a new school season. And today, the but first that we're going to look at is, but first, Jesus. Here's the bottom line. Here's what I want you to walk away with today. You ready? Here it is, in a nutshell. I want you to walk away thinking Jesus is the greatest thing that there is. That there's nothing higher than Jesus. There's nothing better than Jesus. So obviously we should make him our first priority above all else. What does that look like? How would that play out in our lives? Well, I want you to do some thinking and praying about that. But it seems to me it would at least mean that We would begin our day first thing reading his word first before reading anything else. Seems to me it would look like going to him first with our problems and our questions before we run to anything else. Seems to me it would look like worshiping him first and foremost before we do or worship anything else. Jesus should be our first priority. There are many places we could go in the scripture to see that. The call to worship that you read from Colossians 1 is a great place that talks about the supremacy of Christ and how he should be preeminent in all things. But we're studying the priorities of Jesus, and so we want to hear Jesus on words. And so here in Revelation 22 and verse 13, Jesus makes a statement. I want to read the words of Jesus and then pray for us and then think about the priorities that Jesus sets. Here now, the word of the risen Christ from Revelation chapter 22, verse 13. Jesus said, I am the Alpha and the Omega the first and the last the beginning and the end let's pray together as we come to God's Word Heavenly Father thank you for preserving these words of the risen Christ thank you for preserving them low these many years and certainly one of the reasons you have would be for the benefit of your people at this time and in this place and so we pray that you would use these words of Christ To help us think about reality. That we would reorient our lives so that we would live lives that are true to the way things are. Open our eyes, help us to see, open our ears, help us to hear what Jesus is saying. And give us the discipline and self-control that only comes by your spirit that would allow us to make Jesus first above all things. Please come and do that now. And I ask you to be willing to do it even through the sin-stained lips of a foolish preacher. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I wonder what you think of when you hear Jesus say, I am the Alpha and the Omega. We don't use those words a whole lot, do we? Maybe when you hear Jesus say Omega, you think of an Omega watch. They make some good watches. Or maybe you think of your omega-3 nutritional supplement that you take. We talk about omega in that way, don't we? Or what do you think Jesus means when he says, I'm the alpha? Usually when we say alpha, the alpha is the, the lead dog, the top dog, the alpha male, the alpha female, the alpha dog is the dominant one, the one that's domineering over all the others. Is that what Jesus is saying here? We have to be careful when we come to a text like this, or really any text, because we have a tendency of taking what we know, Omega watches and nutritional supplements, and reading those things into the text and hear Jesus say something that he was never saying at all. It's important for us to understand what was in Jesus' mind, what he was communicating to those original folks and allowing the truth of the text to speak to us in our context instead of our imposing our ideas on the text itself. What would Jesus have been saying in the context when he makes this statement, I'm the Alpha and the Omega? Well, you need to know that Revelation was originally written in Greek. That was the dominant language of the day. A lot of folks knew another language and Greek, sort of like English today. Most places you go in the world, you can find someone who speaks English. It's the dominant language of the day. Well, on this day, the dominant language was Greek. And you need to know that the first letter of the Greek alphabet was alpha. That's where we get our word alphabet. And the last letter of the alphabet, the Greek alphabet, was Omega. So what Jesus is saying here, if he were talking to English speakers like us, Jesus would be saying, I am the A to Z. Makes me think of Amazon, right? It's got that little A and the Z. I thought that was a smiley face, but they're going from the A to the Z to show that they have everything from A to Z, right? Uh oh that's what that means. That's what Jesus is saying. That he's everything from A to Z. At this time, when folks talk in this way, you can look at the Old Testament and see other examples of this. That when we talk about from the alpha to omega, the A to Z, they're talking. They mean to include everything in between. So don't mishear Jesus. Don't think he's saying, "Look, I was around at the beginning, the A, the alpha, the first, and then I left for a while. And y'all are just on your own. Y'all figured out." And I'm going to come back at the end and clean up the mess, right? That's not what Jesus is saying. He, did, he is saying he was around at the beginning, that he will be around at the end. But he's saying everything has to do with him. That all things have their beginning in him. That all things are for him. They are to him. We, we read in Colossians 1, verses 13 and 14 the call to worship that all things are held together in him now, in the present. Not at the first, not at the end. Right now he holds all things together. Hebrews 1 says he sustains all things by his powerful word. So Jesus is saying, look, this isn't just about the beginning. This isn't just about the end, although I am about those things. I'm about everything from A to Z. Everything flows from me. Everything was made by me, was made for me. Everything is for his glory. It's held together by him. And Jesus is affirming those truths we read in our call to worship here with the statement that he makes about being the Alpha and the Omega. I want to take some time to think about that together, the implications of that truth here today, I read a lot of guys and what they think about it. I did a lot of thinking about it, and I want you to know that this is not some theological uh, just or just some kind of theological, philosophical, impractical thing. I mean, we can look at it and say, "Yeah, Jesus is eternal. He's from the beginning. And that's true. That he's God. That God calls himself Alpha and Omega. Now Jesus, is, so Jesus is claiming to be God, and it certainly shows his divinity. But what does it mean for us where we live?" What does it mean for us as we live our lives? And it actually is very practical and has a lot of implications. Let's tease some of them out. Jesus is the alpha. He's the first. He's the beginning. That means Jesus came before you. And he came before me. And he says that he came before all things because he made them. And we have questions about those things, don't we? We wonder, how did all this begin? Where did it all come from? Why are we here? What's our purpose? Jesus is saying here that, that, that Jesus, whatever the specific answers are to those things, that Jesus is in the middle of all of that. Before the cross, we typically think of Jesus on the cross, before the manger, Jesus was involved from the very beginning, bringing order to chaos, calling things into existence. Because he's the alpha, he's the beginning, he's the first. And so that means when we ask questions like, where did all this come from? When we ask questions like, why are we here? How did it all begin? What is our purpose? That means that we can't answer those questions accurately apart from Christ. Because he was right there in the middle of all those things. How about Jesus as the Omega, as the last, as the end? We have questions about those things too, don't we? We wonder, where is all this headed? What does the future hold for our country, for our community? What does the future hold for me, for my family? How is all this going to end? Whatever the specific answer is to that question, Jesus is saying that he will be in the middle of all of that that he is the one through whom all things will find their end. And what that means is that we can trust him and find comfort in the fact that while we do not know what the future holds, we know the one who holds the future. Jesus had the first word. Jesus will have the last word. All problems will be solved by him. All evil will be dealt with by him. Either by his perfect life and sacrificial death, taking the punishment for evil. Or we wash our robes in his blood so that we are absolved. He talks about that here in Revelation 22. Or evildoers will bear the punishment for their own Sin. That's sort of the alpha and the omega. What about here today? I wonder what's on your heart and your mind today? What are you concerned with? If Jesus is about everything from A to Z, if everything flows from him, if everything was made by him, if everything is made for him, if he is the end of all things, everything is made for his glory, it's moving toward him and his design for things, you know what that means? It means that there is nothing that is irrelevant to Jesus. There's nothing that you face that he doesn't care about. There's nothing you face that he doesn't know about. He made it. He made all things. And he's the one holding it together to the extent that it's being held together. And he'll have the last word when he makes all things right. There's nothing Jesus does not rule over. In fact, here in this book of Revelation, God refers to himself as the Alpha and Omega three times. And he does it because there's some crazy stuff in the book of Revelation. Right? Folks are reading and saying, whoa, that's crazy. I'm not sure. I'm looking forward to that. I'm not even sure I understand what that means. And God is saying, yes, I see there's some crazy things that are going to happen. But I want you to know. That I am in control. That I'm the first and the last. I had the first word, I'll have the last word. And these words given to God's people were meant to bring them great comfort. Even in the midst of chaos, these words were meant to comfort the people of God. And I hope that you find comfort in them Today, do you see how practical this truth is? How needed it is? How comforting it is? In a world that is so chaotic and out of control and unpredictable, as we look to leaders and those in authority. Who either have just betrayed us with lies or maybe just sincerely overestimated what they can control and what they can accomplish. So that we're disappointed and disillusioned by their under-delivering on promises and on their results. In a world ravaged by anxiety and depression and confusion and arrogance... And pride Jesus stands before you today and he speaks to you in his word and he says these words of comfort I am the Alpha and the Omega the first and the last the beginning and the end listen to me this is what Jesus is saying to you today in this passage Jesus is saying there is something bigger than yourself There is something bigger than your generation. There is something bigger than your country, bigger than your moment in history, bigger than your problems, bigger even than your greatest fears. There is one who came before us. There is one who will be at work after us. And there is one who is with us in the midst of the things we face, in the midst of our hurt, in the midst of this great brokenness that we face. It should be clear to us by now that we need one big enough. We need one large enough. We need one vast enough who can bear the full weight of our grieving and our hurt and our questions and our disappointments. In this text, Jesus claims to be that one. That's what he's saying. Now it's up to you whether you believe that. It's up to you whether you accept it. It's even up to you whether you live like that's true. Because a lot of us profess that and then don't live that way. But whether you believe it and just need to be reminded. Or whether you have great doubts and need to be convinced. Let me just tell the story again. When I say the story, I don't mean it's fiction. I just mean the whole thing from beginning to end. Let me just tell the story From beginning to end. Really, we got to go to lunch. Listen, I know how this one ends, okay? We're all right. Let me just tell the story from beginning to end again as Jesus tells it in his word. Here's how he tells it. He starts, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, there was God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in perfect relationship with one another. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He didn't have to have a creation. He wanted one. And God created all things by the power of his word in the space of six days and all very good. His creation is so miraculous, so structured from a tiny cell all the way up to the laws of the universe. God created such color and texture and beauty, such diversity. How creative is God? We think we're so creative. God is so creative. And he made this world and made us, and he gave us a job to do. He created us in his image to reflect what he is like. That's why we're creative. That's why we love beauty. Because we're made in his image. God made us male and female. And he gave us a job to do. He said, you are here. I want you to be fruitful and multiply images of God. I want you to make more images of me until they fill the earth. And I want you to, secondly, rule over this creation the way that I would. In God's place. That we would rule the creation, bringing order out of chaos the way the God, in whose image we're made, would do. In this beginning, the world was perfect. There was no shame. There was nothing to be ashamed of. No fear. Nothing to be afraid of. There was no blame. Nothing to blame each other for. No pain. No oppression. No decay, no death, no amber alerts, no reports of cancer. Those things weren't there in the beginning. Well, why do we live in a world with those things? There was a fall. The people made in God's image did not live life the way he designed it to be lived. And as a result, all these things, shame and fear and blame and decay and death and oppression, all these things came into the world. So listen, I want you to understand that things are difficult not because God's not good or because God doesn't care or because he's not in control. It's none of those things. Things are the way that they are because we don't live life the way God designed it to be lived. And so things are broken. But God has not given up on his creation. He remains committed to his creation and he is redeeming all things. God is fixing what is broken. You said it in the call to worship in Colossians 1. That he's redeeming all things to himself the person and work of christ jesus we tend to think that he's just redeeming us and he is go back and read colossians 1 this afternoon paul says god is redeeming all things and then he says okay and he's redeeming you you too but he's redeeming all things making them new the way they were from the very beginning Jesus did that as he walked on the earth in the flesh, healing people. That's what his healing ministry is about. It's not so much that we're called to have a repeat performance. It's that he has mastery over physical things, whether it's the weather, whether it's demons, whether it's our health. And he's pushing back the effects of the brokenness in this world. And now that he has ascended into heaven, he uses us to redeem what is broken. We're the literal hands and feet of Christ. In Colossians 1, we read where we are the body of Christ. He is our head. We get our priorities from him, but we're his hands and his feet. So we get to be a part of pushing back the effects of the fall and the brokenness. And so we enter into brokenness. We're not afraid of brokenness. We're not afraid of the broken things in the world. And we're willing to wade into those things because we know that Jesus has power over them. And that he may use us to fix what is broken. And that even if he does not, we know a day is coming when Jesus will come back and make all things right. He will wipe every tear from our eye. There'll be no more mourning or crying or pain, not just because we man up and stop crying, but because there's nothing sad to cry about anymore. Because he's fixed all things and he's made them right. And God will live in our midst with us with direct fellowship with him forever. Do you long for that day? As you grieve the brokenness day by day, as you listen to the news, allow your heart to long for that day that he comes back and makes all things new. Even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. But do you know why he waits? Do you know why he tarries? Do you know why he hasn't come back and fixed it all yet? Because he's waiting on all who are his To come to him he's waiting on all those who are his children to be adopted into his family and he uses us to make disciples to multiply images of god to call people into his family in fact he says as much revelation 22 verse 7 he says i'm coming soon But before he comes to this earth to make things right, he calls us to come to him. Look at Revelation 22 and verse 17. The spirit, that's the spirit of God, and the bride. Who's the bride? That's us. That's the church. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Aren't you thirsty for him let the one who desires take the water of life without price there's no price for us because Jesus has paid it all for us so I call you today to come to Jesus Jesus is the greatest thing There's nothing higher than him. There's nothing better than him in the entire universe. So we should make him first in our priorities. We should place him before all things because that's true to the way things are. It's an accurate depiction of reality. So I call you, read his word first every day before you read anything else. Allow that to shape your mind and your heart and the way that you lean into the day. Go to Him first in prayer with your questions or your problems or your anxieties before you run to anyone or to anything else. Worship Him first in your day. That's why we meet on the first day of the week to worship him. Yes, because Christ rose on that day, but we worship him first before we do anything else. I invite you to come to Jesus today. Let me pray and ask God to help us to do that. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I know we can't come to Jesus unless you draw us, unless you enable us. So I just pray for my own heart, for my own family, for my own friends here. Holy Spirit, be at work in our hearts. Give us that thirst that can only be satisfied by Jesus. Give us a a hunger and thirst for his righteousness. Give us a desire to see your kingdom come and your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Please come and do this work in us. And then we pray that you would be pleased to do your work through us. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.